What up, y'all? It's your girl, Vivica Fox, and welcome to an all-new Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. I'm your go-to girl for people, ideas, knowledge, inspiration, faith, love, truth, success, and of course, F-U-N. Your hustle is going to get an upgrade with the most surprising, exciting, and fabulous guests from all walks of lives. All right, darlings, you're in good hands. So now, Get on in here because welcome, we are going to have a fun show today. Today, I'm speaking with the very charismatic, emotional powerhouse, Brandon Leake. You will know him best. He is the only spoken word poet ever to win America's Got Talent. That's right, y'all. He came with a whole new hustle on him, all right? Now, we're gonna talk about how he crafts his captivating spoken artworks, how he connects to people in such a profound and moving way, the critical changes that took him from the top and how he handles the demands of his personal life that come along with supporting himself and his family. Please welcome to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox, Hey, Brandon. Hello. It's a pleasure to see you. How are you today? Well, I'm recovering from a long week in Miami because when we did the first take, I introduced you as your sister, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this. Regardless of all that, you look gorgeous today. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, last night, I think I might have gotten about four hours of sleep. We were so blessed uh, that we were this past weekend promoting uh, True to the Game 3. And uh, we I literally went from L.A. to Kansas City to Miami, and now I'm back in L.A. And here to talk with you today. So please forgive me for that. But I just, you know, the best way to embrace it is, hey, if you mess it up, keep on going, right? Factual. I love it. I love it. Now tell us, where are you from, brother? I am from Stockton, California, about 30 minutes south of Sacramento. Oh, would you happen to be from the same place as my fabulous co-star, also known as Prison Bay, a.k.a. Jeremy Meeks? Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> you guys are from the same place. Yeah, and I've never met him, so I'm going to have to, that's going to have to change then. And can I, can I tell you this, what's great about, like, Jeremy, um, like yourself, being from a place that, you know, um, has different opportunities available for our brothers that he literally took his life and turned things around. I mean, he, I will never forget that when we did, uh, the second one, which he just kind of like, you know, bust on the scene that he we did a Q&A after the show. And he said, uh, they said, what's the most surprising thing about your life? And he said, you would have never told me that 10 years ago I will be sitting beside Vivica Fox and starring in a movie with her. He's like, you know, life is good. So, you know, how about you? How did how does the spoken word come into your life? Yeah. So like writing spoken word or poetry just in general kind of started in middle school because girls finally started to look cute. Um, <laughs> uh, from there, I would say uh, I didn't really do much with it because I, I started playing basketball, got a scholarship to play Division Two. Um, and then it was actually the passing of my best friend my freshman year of college. Um, and he was a rapper. He loved to wow. rap. He loved to, he loved to spit bars. And I figured the best way that I could honor him was by writing. And it was the only thing that I really had that helped me numb the pain. And uh, so, yeah, like it was in college. I met a poet by the name of Michael Bournet who was traveling the world. And when I found out you could get paid to just talk, I was like, sign me up. I do this for free. So I love it. I love it. Do you remember what your first your first poem was that you wrote? 
Oh yeah, I wrote it for a girl named Amelia uh, in seventh grade, no eighth grade, um, uh-huh. and uh, had like a little "Will you be my boo?" yes or no checkbox at the bottom, and uh, yeah, never ended up going to her. Ended up going to another girl who I was really good friends with, and then she and I ended up <laughs> dating for like five months. So that whole story flipped around. I love that you said didn't work with Amelia. So hey, let me try this on her over here. And y'all oh, actually no. It accidentally went to my friend. Not <gasps> oh like... my gosh. <laughs> so that was like a whole yeah. So what do you mean accidentally accidentally went to her? How did what do you mean what happened? So in class, before cell phones and all that, you know, like you pass the note down <laughs> so that way you could get it to the person. And uh, it didn't go to the right person. Oh, wow. So how did you feel about that when you got, I mean, did it, did it work out okay? You were like, well, okay, bye, oh, yeah. I'll take it. Like, we ended up dating on and off for like like two, three years, and she's still a really good friend. She's like a super dope teacher uh, here in okay. my local town. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was like eighth grade love, like 13, 14-year-olds who like- Puppy love, as holding, we call it. You know what I mean? Holding hands was like our, like, like our like big thing. So whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about your mother, uh, Carla Leek Gibson, that she had you at 19 years old. She was a young mom. And the doctor asked her if she wanted to keep you. And she said, Yes, without hesitation. How did you find out about that story? Yeah, I mean, my mom and I have a great relationship. And so, Good. you know, the the reality is, you know, especially in the 90s, like my mom found out about me in 91, like 80s and 90s. It was one of those things where it was like, you know, taboo to have a child out of wedlock at a young age. You have so much promise and opportunity in front of you. And so... And in our, you know, historically in black neighborhoods, it's one of those things where uh, it, it's it's offered more upon our women than it is. Amongst really? Any other it is. Um, and so especially during that time in that era, statistically. Mm-hmm. And so my mom elected to pick me over her own convenience. And for myself, I always told I always told myself, I'm like, I will make my mom's life so much easier so she won't have to worry about me um because my mom works so many jobs i mean like she at one point my mom worked like four jobs simultaneously to make sure i had anything everything i needed um but you know that's just the strength of black women these days you know i mean like they they hold it down for anybody agreed with you i mean you know your mother will be true to will be dear to me because sounds like your mama was a hustler she was like I will take responsibility for my responsibility instead of just like, oh, okay, let me just, you know, dish this off to someone. Like you said, the power of a sister. So that's beautiful. And she evidently instilled that work ethic into you, young man. Yeah. I mean, if there was one thing that I am never short on, it is a motivation to keep going until I, mm. uh, I ensure that I get, I'm, I'm going to be my mom's return on investment. That's one yes. thing for sure. I know, I'd love to hear that. Now, let's talk about some other members of your family. You have a younger brother uh, that's 15 years old. Who's that? Yeah, Dion. Uh, he goes by DJ, but his name's Dion. Um, it's really weird. He and I have 14 years of age separated. Difference, yes. So it's like, 
you know, I, when I went off to college, he was four years old and he was like, where'd my older brother go? But like oh. now he's in high school, getting interested in girls play. Like he and I have very dissimilar interests. Like he loves NASCAR and all this <laughs> other stuff. I'm like, you're like, not too many brothers in NASCAR, but hey, they get paid. You know what I mean? Good. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, yeah. oh man, he, he loves Bubba Wallace. So I'm like, shout yes, out to that Absolutely. Brother. Yes. I mean, um, how amazing is it that there is finally a brother that's doing things in NASCAR for him to look up to? You feel me? And so, yeah. like, but my, my brother loves cars. He loves all this stuff that, like, I'm like, hey, yo, man, I may not be interested. But I'm your brother. I'll 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 find interest in anything you find interesting, just so we can spend the time. And can I ask you what happened to your basketball dreams? What position do you play? I I'm a huge sports fan. So uh, yeah, I'm assuming you're a Laker fan too. No, Golden State Warriors. Oh. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, you have Where's to you realize that. that. Well, let me tell you, I'll explain it to you really quick. When I filmed the movie, Juana Man, we filmed in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, we were looking for a location to shoot uh, the house scenes. And one of the security officers knew uh, Dale, uh, Steph Curry's uh, father. You know, that was the king back in the day of the three short, three, three point shot. So that's where he got that from. People got to understand Steph Curry, them roots came from Dale Curry who was just an assassin back in the day. I remember meeting Steph, he was like seven, eight years old. And I just remember meeting him and his brother and them looking up at me with those eyes, especially Steph with those green eyes. And Steph said years later, he used to tell everybody, this is how his pickup line, yo, you know Vivica Fox near Mage, what a man in my house. So I've never forgotten <laughs> the generosity. And uh, it was a trip. My nephew loves Steph Curry. And so one of the Laker games, um, I pulled a favor and my nephew got to meet him. He took pictures. He was just such a kind man. So I've been rooting. I love the Lakers, but I'm old school Lakers. I got old school Laker roots in me like Kobe, Magic, when you play at the forum. You know what I'm saying? These new Lakers, I, I, it's taken me a minute to, you know, feel them. Because <laughs> they all from different teams that we used to root against, right? Yo, trust me, I feel you. I grew up a Laker fan. I did not realize how much of my Laker fandom was the fact that I was a Kobe fan until he retired, though. Well, what about when he passed? You know, like... How hard did like we Kobe feel that? Kobe was my, like, sincerely, Kobe was my idol, and I'll yes. navigate this back to your question. Um, my, uh, my basketball aspirations and desires were always to be the next Kobe. Like I wanted, really? like I loved the work ethic. I loved the hard. I loved the heart that he brought to the game. Yes. God just, God just didn't give me another five inches worth of height uh, <laughs> or I could be up there. Um, so I'm like, I'm not short, but I'm like I'm basketball. Well, like, Kobe I'm, six I'm eight, six so foot. that makes you six three, six two, six well, three. I'm 6'1", 6'2", oh, okay. depending on the shoes. Always stretch it out. Always go for the higher height. If you're six one and a half, you're 6'2", bro. You know what I mean? And so, okay. like, it was uh, at, my, at my position, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many people who are, like, immensely skilled. And I, I really, I maxed out my basketball career. Playing basketball, mm. got offered an overseas scholarship. Wow. The, the, the sincerest truth was, I stopped doing basketball after my sophomore year of college because after some time with God, I, uh, I felt the call to do something different, which was poetry. 
I felt led to move my life in a direction to, because I was like, yo, I want to make a lasting impact in people's lives. And what is, what's going to be my, what's going to be my route? And uh, it came back to me that it wasn't going to be with the basketball, with, with the ballpoint pen. So I took that route. Now, with the passing of, unfortunately, um, your sister, that she died in your arms. Um, did, next did to that? Ha- yeah. Oh, next to you. Wow. Um, did that have an impact that when you did pick up that pen to um, start writing? Was that a major influence or one of your first things that you can remember that was like magical? Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, how would I phrase that? Um, I wouldn't say my sister's passing was the first thing I wrote on. Um, I would say my sister's passing was definitely one of the most difficult things for me to write on, though. Wow. Because uh, I think probably the most difficult part about it was the fact that I remember so little. Um, and it felt like I was losing. The weird part about grief is it's the fact that you still it's love persisting. You know what I mean? Like you get the chance to still care for and remember somebody in grief. And for myself, as I lost grief, it felt like I was losing touch with her. So Mm -hmm. writing poems about her allowed me to stay very connected to her in a real way. Wow. And that poem that you did write for your sister, can you please tell me her name? Her name is Danielle Marie Gibson. And how did your sister pass away, darling? Have you ever seen the movie John Q with uh, Denzel, Denzel Washington? Absolutely. So uh, the same can like enlarged heart condition, but uh, mm. just significantly younger. So my sister, uh, my sister had an enlarged heart that uh, could have been uh, seen if we didn't have, uh, I think it was a PPO type of health care, um, but it just wasn't put on the screening list because of our low level of health care. Isn't and that so, sad? Uh, yeah. So it something was like, that, something easily that could have been screened and avoided or at least question. knowledge, you know, about it so that you guys could have, it wouldn't have been so surprising and took her out. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, uh, cause you know, at such a young age, like heart transplants are an immensely difficult thing to even find donors for, yes. you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but, uh, but I will say this, um, if there is one thing that I'm I'm grateful for, it's uh, even even in loss, um, you get the chance. To, I, had, I had eight and a half months with uh, heaven on earth, with with an angel who got the chance to be here along my side. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. You're about to make me start crying right now because it's like, you know, family, you know, is, 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 especially the older that I've gotten has, is just like everything. It's like sometimes in life, you kind of run away from your family trying to find your identity. And then it's like a rubber band effect. And then you come back and you figure out just how special it is. Right. Yeah. And like the yeah. one thing that you will never get back is time. Yes. Agreed. So you wrote a beautiful poem that, uh, uh, help you to win America's Got Talent. Uh, would you mind sharing that with us? Yes. So which one would you like to hear? The one about my sister? The one yes, about I would. My... Okay. I, I, so I, I can... Give, you can give me, a, we, we can start here, we get a little sample of her. She don't have to do, you know, the whole thing. Because I hear that also, we got to take everybody that you had two 
that you were twice on America's Got Talent. You won one time, but then you had a warm up one that you learned from, right? Yeah, like I, uh, so I auditioned originally in 2017. Um, okay. And I didn't make the show. Um, and the way that America's Got Talent lets you know you don't make the show is they put up commercials with people who did make the show and don't tell you about it. So that's, Wait a minute. Uh, Hold up. So you're backstage and you do your performance and then what happens? Well, so here's what happens. So like they do like the cold call interviews, right? So like right. you go audition in front of like a, uh, a talent agent, I'm sure like uh, you can audition in front of a talent agent. And then what happens is they say, hey, if we're interested, you get an email. If we're not, then good luck next year. And so like you just kind of <laughs> wait for this email to come. And right. then inevitably you start seeing commercials like, oh, they moved on. Cool. Um, but what happened for me was after I didn't make the show, I I took the time to to really learn the difference between loving your art and respecting your art. Um, loving my art made me want to do it. Respecting my art made me want to learn it. So like I started studying, you know, comedians like Doug Carlin, Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle to understand timing, callbacks, um, the way that you can pull and tug on an audience and, and integrate political and like socio, uh, socio, like uh, socio related uh, issues into your writing. I studied yes. rappers like Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole oh, and these other people oh. that are understanding. Oh, you went, you went for the deep, deep. You went for the deep, deep brothers, okay? You you didn't, you know, when you went from the best to learn from, I mean, and, and you basically self-educated yourself, which I find to be completely admirable because people just think that what we do is so easy. They don't realize it's a craft. Without question. I mean, like, yeah. I couldn't tell you how many times I watched Fences with Denzel Washington to Ooh. better understand yes. how, you shift, how, how he was able to shift from, like, jovial Denzel to... Right, right there. Just like that. That was good. Very good. Very good. And you know what those so, yeah. are called? I would tell you what those are called as an actor. Those are called moments. And as an actor, when you learn uh, to find your moments, and I'm telling you, a person taught me this lesson. And that was Jada Pinkett Smith when we did Set It Off, you know, because I came from the world of soap operas where it's like, you got to hit your mark, hit it fast. And you got to learn it. And you're doing five shows a week, 20 pages of dialogue. Um, but when you do a movie and you have more time to develop characters, you know, um, she would say to me all the time, V, find your moments. It's cool. Slow down. You don't have to rush it. Take your time. Find your moments. You know, because when you do a soap opera, child, they ask you to cry 3.2 seconds. Like you go from a hair toss to hitting your mark to now you cry. So... You had to learn things very quickly. Whereas we do movies, you can take the time to, because the camera's your friend and time is your friend when you do movies. So basically that's the difference. You, you get to learn moments. So I, I'm glad that, you know, you as a writer and um, as a young artist discovered that because a lot of people don't get it. A lot of people, people just say they lines. Trust me, I've been there, you know? <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate yes. I appreciate the game because I mean, like I'm, on my end, like, you know, being on a podcast about hustling, like hustling has never been anything I've been shy on. Like if there is one mm. thing that I think that's really the, the most beautiful part about my story is that I'm not unique. 
outside of a tremendous amount of care and hustle. Um, it could have been anybody, but the distinguishing factor between me and them was the fact that I cared enough to try hard enough to get it. I and, love uh, it. With that, I'll give you this lovely poem. Still, oh, okay, go ahead. Because when we finish the poem, because I'm going to ask you, what did you learn from each person that you just mentioned? I'm going to give you a rapid oh. fire for you to tell me what did you learn from each one? Because you went all the way from actors to rappers. I mean, that, but they're all artists. Don't get me wrong. But I'd just like to know some rapid fire. But do your poem. Go ahead. Got you. So um, I have two facts for you. One, I'm six feet tall. And two, love is the most vulnerable thing one will ever experience. And you must learn to hold on to it loosely in order to make it less painful when it leaves. On July 14th, 1996, an angel was brought to this earth. Her name, Danielle Marie Gibson, but I only knew her as Puff. Her smile was as wide as the universe. Her eyes, they glimmered like the stars. She was my world and my sister. I, just four years old, learned what it meant to love selflessly for on days in which my strength was for me high, seeing her smiling face would make my soul fly away. You see, since March 21st, 1997, I've been groundbound because she left Earth to go back home amongst the stars right next to God. And I was left here to manufacture wings out of tears and broken dreams, yet I'm still haunted by these nightmares because I have a really creative mind and sometimes it creates these alternate realities where she is still here still alive, still breathing, and all the things I wish we could have done are played again and again and again and again. And I'm tired of playing God because I got to come to terms with the fact that my sister, she's never coming back. And that's the cost of love, of caring for someone so much that you can't imagine living a life without them staring at a grave. Like, how about I trade my six feet for yours? That's not real. And I know I said earlier to hold on to love loosely so when it leaves, it won't exit so painfully. But if this pain and these scars are all that I have left of you, I'll never regret it. I'm just trying to hold on to you. There's my poem. And that's what won America's Got Talent, right? <laughs> that's, the, that's the first one. I did four of them. Oh, wow. You did four of them. So every time you came, did you get the reaction that you just got out of me? Because, child, I'm looking for my powder puff over here to, to catch these tears, because that was, first of all, beautiful. Second of all, passionate. And third, just moving. You know, it was just that that was dope. You know, so what was the third? And well, you don't have to do them now because I got more questions I got to ask you about other parts of your life. But what were the other ones about? Yeah, so beautiful. I did a poem. That was beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. I did a poem entitled Pookie. It's about uh, <laughs> an inc- <laughs> oh, Everybody got a pookie, okay? In the hood. Oh. It's, uh, that's my childhood nickname. It's what my mom called yes. me. Yes, yeah, uh, Pookie. The, the poem is about how one day I got, I went to go get gas at a gas station and a racist white dude pulled a gun on me. Oh, my and goodness. Um, my uh, I called my mom afterwards to tell her about it. And she said, Pookie, I didn't even know you had left. Mm. 
And uh, it was like a glaring moment of realization that uh, my mother, no matter if, no matter what the scenario is, is always concerned the moment I leave the door. Yes. Um, and so that was, uh, that was the, that was the second poem I did. Third poem I did was a letter to my dad. Um, it was like a series of letters that I had done from when I was like four years, five years old, 10 years old, 16. And then when I was 25 and I invited my father to my wedding. Um, Cause I had never met my dad until my wedding day. I was abs- getting ready to ask you that. Was your dad not present uh, in your life while you was growing up and you answered. So answer me that because, you know, it, it always saddens me when fathers aren't there to help our men learn to be men. Um, a woman can only do so much, you know, she can, yeah. you know what I mean? That there's just some lessons that a man needs to teach his son, in my opinion. And I'm sure. Oh, no, you know, factual. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I agree with you. Luckily, yeah. I had a bunch of, uh, I had a great church family to fill in for that. Um, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yes, church. <laughs> Come on through church. Come on through church. And my final poem I did was, uh, was a poem to my daughter. Oh, what was the name of that one? See, I'm a daddy's uh, girl, so you're going to make me melt over here. My father passed away yeah, that, five years ago, and I miss him, so. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's all right. It's, uh, that, that one is called Boo-Boo, because her nickname is Boo-Boo. <laughs> Everybody got a Boo-Boo, too. We got Boo-Boo in my family. <laughs> I swear. I'm telling you, bro. So, so yeah, what was nah, that one about? No, it was just a, it was just an ode to her telling her how much I, how much her, like her presence in my life instantly changed me, how becoming a parent makes you so scared of all the independence you're afraid to lose, but also the world that you're bringing them into. Mm. It's a lot. Especially our world today, you know, uh, surviving COVID and all of the things that, I mean, our world, I feel like our world just got putting in a pot and like, you know, you know, flipped upside down, you know? So let's talk. Yes. So let's talk about now you having your own family. Um, The very first time that you auditioned for America's Got Talent, were you married and had a family then? Yeah. Well, I was married. Um, In 2017, I had just gotten married. I had decided to put poetry on the side because I wanted to focus on my marriage for my first year. I said the the biggest investment I can ever give is into my marriage versus putting it into my career. Um, And so I just happened to see a posting for America's Got Talent on Facebook. So I was like, hey, I'll I'll go try out for the show, see if it works. Didn't make it. And then uh, that's when I did a tour around the world. I did 150 shows over the course of like 10, 11 months. Um, Went to four different countries without like a management team. I booked it all myself. And then... uh, my wife got pregnant and I was like, need health insurance. So I'm going to go back to teaching. And so I got myself a regular job. Um, As a teacher? Yep. Really? What did you teach in school? Yeah, I taught high school English and history. Wow. Your so roots yeah, are I have deep. A, I mean, I just, the, the things that you're telling me about yourself, that's just so surprising, but pleasantly surprising. Yeah, I also worked in group homes for like six years, like mm. with delinquent youth and youth with like mental mental disabilities. So like yes. I, all throughout college, I worked there. I became a teacher right after college. And uh, 
while I was teaching, I saw another posting for America's Got Talent and said, let's try out. (laughs) It kept coming in your life for a reason, didn't it? Yeah. And it always came in the years that I was going to not do it anymore. Wow. See, that's faith. That's what you have to know. Faith and destiny. I mean, no, that's destiny. Excuse me. That's destiny more than faith to me. Like you were destined for that to happen for you. Like that's like, you know, sometimes you be wearing this like message. You know what I mean? Message. It's like there again. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Yes. Now you created this fantastic business, a true entrepreneur. What truth would you tell to others about being an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I have a nonprofit entitled Call to Move, and I have a clothing business entitled Visionary. And mm. I would say the, uh, the the mantra of Call to Move and Visionary are one and the same. And it's the thing I would tell anybody: you were created on purpose and with purpose, so you should live in purpose. Yes. So um, no matter what it may be, I don't care. Like I don't knock people with the nine to five hustle. Like if you enjoy working and like that brings you joy, do that. If that's not what brings you joy and you want to start a business, take the time. Don't just run off to get started. Take the time to learn, develop and understand the marketplace, the business, because the the unfortunate part is many businesses die young because the people weren't prepared to foster what they're trying to build. So take the time, learn it. It's better to have a business that started on time that you feel was late than a business that starts early and you can't maintain it. Yes. And then, which then leads to failure almost. You know what I mean? As you said, that's why they don't work. Now, I want to go back to America's Got Talent one more time when it came into your life again. Uh, So this time, uh, when you did America's Got Talent, you you had a son, correct? Well, the fr- oh, I had a daughter, so my son no, no, is no, three I'm sorry, months the old. Second, the second time. Oh yes, so yes, well, yeah, right. When it came well, back no, into your life again, right? Well, no, I had a daughter who was two weeks old when I initially auditioned the second time because the oh, first time okay. I had no kids. So okay. in 2017, no kids. 2020. Um, my daughter was two weeks old. She was born on leap year. Okay. Um, and February 29th. And the day I auditioned for America's Got Talent was the day that uh, California shut down due to COVID. And so it was, uh, yeah, there was so much anxiety and stress in the air. Yes. And when I, when I did the show, my family couldn't come. So I was quarantined in a hotel away from my daughter and my wife for almost two months. Wow. So how did you guys communicate with each other? Beautiful FaceTime. (laughs) That's Uh, what I was going to say. And uh, they came down and visited me one once, which was like the week that I ended up winning the show, which was really Mm -hmm. cool. But uh, yeah, like I was so fortunate that uh, my daughter waited for me to start crawling. Like she, uh, she was so close to crawling. And then the day she came to visit was the first day she really did it. I love it. I love it. Now, when you performed, I got to ask this, um, were you in front of Simon? Who were the judges at the time when you, when you did your thing? Simon, Sophia Vergara, Heidi Coom, and, uh, Howie Mandel. So Howie gave me my golden buzzer 
Simon, oh his first gosh. comment, honey. You got the golden buzzer? Yeah. Oh, so like, that is just awesome. Yeah, now, so you got to explain to everybody, for those who may not have watched the show, what is the golden buzzer? So, yeah, so essentially on initial auditions, your golden buzzer helps you go straight to live shows. So you skip like a whole round of the competition. Yes, um, and, which is uh, just a huge sense of relief, right? Oh, yeah, without question. Um, yeah. And for myself, Simon's first commentary about my poem, about poetry, when I told him I did it, he was like, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. And I was like, well, I should be a really good introduction for you. And um, <laughs> afterwards, he came up to me and said, you've really changed my heart, man. Yeah. So. I love it. Because because I know you, if you d- delivered um, the way that you delivered here, I, you, you, you're moving. I mean, it's like... Um, this is what I like about like rap and the spoken word that it's like a different form of art that they, that we kind of came up with that we own, that they can't take away from us, that moves them in ways that they never felt, you know, with music or, you know, or poetry it's ours. Do you feel that way? Oh, without definitely. I mean, like for myself, it's a, Spoken word is like one of the oldest, if not the oldest form of art. Like we think about like back in Africa, the the griot, who was like the keeper of all stories for a village. It was nothing more than a spoken word artist who would share stories and captivate the attention of the village to keep them, you know, to keep their history alive. Um, I do the same thing. Like, uh, I believe it was uh, Nina Simone said, art is just a reflection of the times. Yeah, uh, that's that's me. I'm I'm a living reflection of history. What would you tell someone younger um, about hustling to create change or to find their place in the world? What advice could you give to an upcoming artist? Try things and be okay with sucking at them at first. (laughs) Yes, it's okay. Things happen. You got to figure it out. You know what I mean? And even if you suck at it at first, doesn't mean that that's necessarily still not your thing. Like I mm. sucked at poetry at first. I got wow. better at it the more I did it. Like yeah. you can you can take the time to be bad and get good at something. You don't have to just be instantly great. Mm-hmm. Um, success is not microwavable. Hey, at least long lasting success. I tell people that all the time. A career is not built with a swipe. It happens over time with work and dedication. Yeah. And Absolutely. I'll say this, from somebody like me, who's like, like does like a lot of studying and like historical work, like I, I aspire to be an actor um, because like I enjoy the, I enjoy the idea of bringing to life different characters. And uh, like the, you were, somebody who like I didn't even consciously study but like I watched so many of your movies in my younger years that I was like I I think back on them now as I watch them like uh, a movie like uh two can play that game with you and Morris oh. Chestnut okay uh, cult classic. And, like I, you know I, I wouldn't even say cult classic just like a, a sincere movie that like I uh gave me so much understanding of human nature and people. And you as an actress 
did a phenomenal job of being able to bring to life a character who I saw every day in Black women at my church or at Shante. my school or at my life. You know Shante. what I mean? Yes. Like, or like a movie like Set It Off. Yes. Frankie. Being able to see this group of four strong Black women being able to say like, no, like this is ours for the taking. Yes. Well, you I'm going to tell you, I, hats off to our director, F. Gary Gray. He also taught me something. Now I'm a director and producer, that the story has to make sense. How are these people, how do their worlds all uh, combine for them to, to, to get to this place? Why is it? And for us, it was that our backs were against the wall and we had no other choice. But he's like, the relationships have to make sense for us to add layers to these characters. You know, so I just I take that now. It was a huge learning lesson for me. He's like, if this because we were we were literally tearing out pages every day, stuff that it makes it. He's like, nope, not working, not working. And then with him having that much passion, you know, because there were some days he was like, and I want you to be professional, be on better be on time. Like I've worked with some really demanding directors that were almost kind of like parents in a way that instilled great morals and great work ethic, worth ethics in me. They really did. So now I got to figure out now we all go because we, we we got a little bit of time left with you. And I still got a couple more things I want uh, everyone to find out about you. I mean, for the fact that the spoken word won America's Got Talent and you were the first to do that. You got a, you know, a gold buzzer. I mean, that's just that's so dope. And the fact that you didn't give up on yourself the first time, the first time they rejected you. Second time you came back. And then boom, you know, you, you didn't let that put you down. You're like, I'm going to go. I'm going to do the homework. Remember I told you I wanted to ask you those rapid uh, questions about tell me one thing that you took from each person that you said that you admired. Richard Pryor. So Richard Pryor, cultural, uh, cultural significance in art. Dave Chappelle. Callbacks. <laughs> Kendrick Lamar. Oh, narrative storytelling. J. Cole. Heart. Yes. I so agree with you. Heart. Because J. Cole, he, for a younger guy, like he comes and you're like, okay, you got some depth going over, going on over there. We want to talk about what's going on with you now. You have an album, short film that's coming out in March. And you also have another album that is possibly being considered for a Grammy. Yeah. So I have a sh- I have an album that was considered for a Grammy. It didn't get nominated. Um, pro- we submitted it uh, really late in the process. It's entitled Level. It's myself and a, another poet by the name of Black Chakra out of Baltimore. Um, it was a really good project. It's out on all streaming platforms. You can listen to it. It's a narrative album about two Black boys journeying through generational trauma. Um, so yeah, you can go sl- you can go listen to that anywhere. Yeah, I uh, I wrote a short film, directed it, produced it, yes! started it. Um, it's entitled Complexity. So let me tell you what you need to do for my other job, because I have a show called The Screening Room. And what we do is we give young African-American filmmakers an opportunity to showcase their films. It's hosted by me. So you would get interviewed by me again. I want you to hit up Fox Soul after this interview and tell them that the host, Vivica Fox, wanted you to submit your project. And I'm giving you a gold buzzer on the screening room. Boom! How about that? Okay, he's like, I'm writing it down right now. Right now. (laughs) 
Well, we got to finish like, up this. Do I write that note. So, yeah, Foxo over at Foxo. If you go to Foxo, go to go to our us on Instagram, and the information will be there. All right. I got it. So, all right, I love it. I love it. Now, my final question that I, w- that I want to ask you before we have to go: You were also uh, affected with Black Lives uh, Matter. You know, um, how did that affect you? I heard that you were very involved um, with that. How did that affect your life? And what message would you like to put out there to others about Black Lives Matters? Yeah, um, I make it. I make it short and sweet. Um, okay. Yeah, Thank you. The fact that uh, the fact that a phrase like Black Lives Matter has to exist displays the fact that there's an, an equality issue. Um, I participated in putting on marches alongside people like Damar Johnson, Jamar Fox and the Balloons Over Bullets movement in my city, as well as in my old home and my old college town of Redding, California. And it's near and dear to my heart because, hey, I'm a black man. I'm going to be raising a black woman and a black man and my daughter and my son. And I was a teacher to black black boys and girls. And we all deserve a chance to live a life where we can pursue happiness as the Declaration yes. of Independence declares. And unfortunately, our circumstances don't always allow for that to happen. Mm, agree. Agree. Um, you're a young man that went through a, a lot, you know, with family and things like that. Um, what would you go back if you could have a conversation with your younger self? What's the one thing that you would tell your younger self? Oh, man, be more gracious on yourself, man. Don't don't mm. be so harsh on yourself when you look in the mirror. You uh, you have a lot more time ahead of you than you think. You don't have to be a finished product tomorrow. Oh, OK. You better drop that jam. Boom. OK. Well, that leads us perfectly into today's hustle hack. Today's hustle hack is hashtag self-reflection. Darlings, it's a beautiful thing when you look in the mirror and take responsibility for your life and for your actions. Don't give up. If something doesn't work out for you, reflect on your life, process it, take it in, study to hustle, just like our boy Brandon did here. He didn't give up on himself. He went he went in once. He went back the second time. He didn't take no for an answer. He said, sooner or later, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do the work and I will figure this out. Darlings, success takes work and it takes sacrifice. The road to success is not easy. I tell people that a lot. Success isn't going to just come knocking on your door. Hey, I'm going to make you famous. You're going to be all that in a bag of chips. That's not how it works. You have to do the work. It's not going to be easy. So stay on track and stay focused and keep doing you. But know that it takes time. I want to thank my very handsome and charismatic and charming, handsome guest who I believe has a beautiful future in front of him. Brandon, tell folks where they can find you on social media, brother. Yeah, fam. It is a B-R-A-N-D-O-N-L-E-A-K-E on any and every platform. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, I feel sorry for you because I don't really use it, but I use everything. So (laughs) are you on TikTok? I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So, oh come my out God. Like Don't they give us way too many jobs? I am officially going to be going into TikTok world tomorrow because I'm like, y'all trying to give us another gram, I mean, another job. We got 
Instagram. You know, you got to think of content, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, it's enough. And now it's TikTok. So, you know, we just have to learn to evolve and stay with the time that's going on. Um, Young man, I think you have a wonderful future in front of you. I also think besides you being a writer that you can also be an actor. You know, so keep studying those amazing men that you have, because when you delivered your spoken word, it was truly beautiful. You could take a script and and make things happen with that. So I hope that you've got an agent that's submitting you to knock on doors because we need wonderful, talented African-American actors to be the next generation. And I believe it's you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. You're welcome. And don't forget to contact Fox Soul. Tell me Girl Vivica sent, sent you, okay? I got you. All right. All right. Hey, you guys. It's your girl, Vivica Fox here. You can follow your girl at Miss Vivica Fox on Twitter, at Miss V Fox on Instagram. I'm verified. And also follow Stage 29 Podcast, too. Don't forget, darlings, follow, subscribe, download, and listen to Hustling with Vivica Fox wherever you like. Until next time, darlings, bye for now. This has been a Stage 29 Podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinigay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. The Hustling with Vivica A. Fox podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during the podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.